Good morning. A couple weeks ago, we began our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke with an overview and an introduction of sorts. We looked at the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, the how of the uh, Gospel account of Luke. And then last week, our study brought us up to verse 25 as we covered the birth announcement of John the Baptist. This was a very special announcement for Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. As they were old and advanced in years, they'd been barren up until that point. But God had a plan to use them and to bring them into, uh, well, to bring into the world the one who would go before the Lord and prepare the way, turning the hearts of the people back to the Lord. Well, in our text this morning, we're going to cover a portion of Scripture that I'm sure for some of you, if not most of you, uh, is going to be a very familiar portion of Scripture. Okay, It's a portion of Scripture that we usually read around the Christmas season because it tells of the birth announcement of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And while it can be easy to perhaps kind of maybe tune out or have a mindset that thinks, oh, yeah, yeah, I... I know this. I've read this lots of times before. I've been in a number of Bible studies where we've covered this before. I want to encourage you as best as possible that we all would really open our hearts, open our minds to once again be reminded of the incredible message that we celebrate usually each Christmas season. It is uh, uh, really a message, uh, an unexpected message. Uh, from an unexpected messenger. And that's the title of our study this morning. It's uh, an unexpected message from an unexpected messenger. Uh, A message that described how the Son of God would humble Himself, come to this earth and take upon human flesh and be born a, a helpless, defenseless babe. And so as we look through our text this morning, I want to highlight just some important truths that we can glean from, uh, also some important truths that we can be reminded of as we study the birth announcement of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you all please stand with me as I read through our portion this morning? Uh, follow along with me in your Bible as I read from mine. Uh, Luke continues his account to Theophilus. Remember, he's writing this very orderly account to this person, Theophilus. Uh, and he writes the following in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the Son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her 
old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together here as as brothers, as sisters, as family, Lord, to seek the face of our Heavenly Father, our Abba Father. And I pray, God, that as we enter into this place, that that would be at our heart's desire, Lord, that we wouldn't just be coming here to perhaps be part of a social event and it's good to see friends and to interact, but Lord, we want to meet with you. And Lord, we come expecting to hear from you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to all that your spirit desires to say to us today, Lord, that we might receive it, that we might know you more, that we might know your word more, that we might know your will and your ways for us to walk in. Lead us and guide us, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Our text this morning, it details for us how God sent an unexpected messenger to declare an unexpected message to a young virgin lady by the name of Mary. And and this unexpected message was that Mary would soon be expecting, but not, uh, not any way that she ever could have or would have ever imagined. For those of you who like to outline our text or to take notes, we're going to divide our text into three major portions. Okay, In verses 26 through 28, we're going to look at Gabriel's salutation. And then in verses 29 through 33, we're going to note Gabriel's declaration. And then in verses 34 to the end of our text, verse 38, we'll cover Gabriel's explanation. Okay? And so, as we go through our text, we'll in these three major portions, we're going to note just important truths, and we're going to look to make some application to our own lives as well. So, let's go ahead and jump in, turn our attention to these opening verses. I'll reread these first uh, three verses again regarding Gabriel's salutation. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. We'll stop right there. And so we see here that verse 26 opens up with Luke uh, speaking about it being the sixth month. Okay, this does not necessarily mean that it was the month of June. That's our sixth month, right? Uh, And it doesn't necessarily mean that it was the month of Elul, uh, the sixth month of the Hebrew calendar. Okay, no, this is actually a reference to what Luke was just previously speaking about. Uh, Last week, we read about another unexpected birth announcement regarding John the Baptist and his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And if you were with us last week, you will recall how the same angel that we read of in our text this morning, Gabriel, had appeared to Zacharias as he was serving in the temple as a priest. And Gabriel informed Zacharias that his prayers had been heard and that his wife Elizabeth, despite being advanced in years, was going to bear him a son. 
Now, when Dr. Luke writes about it being the sixth month, he's referencing and referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We know that for sure because that's what verse 36 uh, actually tells us. And so, um, from last week to this week, we've got a six-month time gap. Just wanted to kind of clarify that so we understand just as far as the overall flow of things. Although for us, just a week ago, for our context... Six months have passed. And so we pick up the account. In that sixth month of her pregnancy, the angel Gabriel is here sent to the city of Nazareth to deliver yet another message on behalf of God. Nazareth is a small city in the southwest region of Galilee. It's uh, actually situated upon a hillside along the Jezreel Valley, or what's more commonly referred to as the Valley of Armageddon. Uh, Actually, back in 2015, uh, we did a church trip Uh, to Israel to visit and tour the Holy Land. Uh, We got the opportunity to visit the city of Nazareth. There's a picture, I think, uh, that's uh, the valley, Jezreel Valley down below from uh, the city of Nazareth. Let me just put a plug out there. If you ever have an opportunity to go to Israel, to do a tour of the Holy Land, I know it can be a little bit pricey, but it is a worthy uh, investment, okay? Uh, It brings the the Bible to life. You see these things. It's just uh, amazing. I would strongly, strongly encourage you if you get the opportunity to take it. Uh, This is actually myself, uh, my wife, Pastor Nick, when he was with us, when he was a Marine uh, stationed here, uh, and Shelly Hill, they're going to, the Hill family is going to be here this summer. They're getting uh, orders here again. So uh, that's actually up upon the Mount of Precipice, which is just outside the current city limits. And we were able to take this incredible view uh, of the valley below. Now, though it was a beautiful sight for us to see uh, on that day, back in Jesus' day, Nazareth was an area looked upon with contempt by those in Jerusalem. Nazareth was a city with a bad reputation, okay? a tough town known for its corruption, for its low morals. You see, in years to come after this visitation by Gabriel, when Jesus began his public ministry, a man by the name of Philip came to his friend Nathaniel. And he informed him that he had found the Messiah. When Philip informed Nathanael that the Messiah was Jesus of Nazareth, Nathanael's response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the kind of place Nazareth was. What do you mean? The Messiah is coming out of Nazareth? No, 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 no. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Not that place. It it was a place um, uh, that had much... Uh, a, a lot of bad things happening in it, okay? Not a lot of good coming from it. Uh, perhaps you know a city like that from where you come from, where you grew up. There was certain, maybe a place you know that's maybe best to avoid altogether. You don't want to go or be there at nighttime. Maybe if you have to drive through there, you make sure your doors are locked. I grew up in Southern California. There was a couple, number of different places like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we would go through L.A. sometimes and be like, okay, let's lock the doors and make sure we're, we're not stopping for gas or anything. We're just going to keep on going. Um, and, and so you probably know wherever you come from, there's probably cities kind of like that. Where you just say, you know what, let's not go through that area. Uh, that was Nazareth. Okay? Nazareth was that, was that kind of place. And I do find it interesting that God would choose someone from the town of Nazareth to be the one that would bring his son into the earth. Of course, there was a a prophetic implication as to why Nazareth would be chosen, but God knew ahead of time what this city would be like, and he still chose it. I think in a a very small way, it's a reminder of God's grace, 
in his ability to take what the world would discard and say that is really good for nothing and bring from something amazing uh, from it. Well, this angel Gabriel, he's sent to Nazareth to meet a young woman, a virgin, according to verse 27, named Mary. And we're told in verse 27 that this Mary was betrothed to a man by the name of Joseph. Uh, betrothal was something that was seen as a period of time in between an engagement and a marriage. It is actually more serious than our, our modern day engagements. In fact, if someone wanted to get out of one of these types of relationships of betrothal, you would actually have to go and actually get a certificate of divorce to break off a betrothal, even though you weren't officially married yet. You see, a betrothal was the commitment of a marriage without the consummation of a marriage. You know, that wouldn't happen until the actual wedding day, usually about a year after the betrothal period had begun. So in our text, we are not told much about Mary's husband, Joseph. Uh, We're told that he was of the house of David. This, of course, uh, was referring to the famous king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. We know about David, right? Uh, In fact, Matthew chapter 1 lists the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and he draws a lineage that begins with Abraham, works through the patriarchs, through David, down to uh, Joseph. And so uh, we do know that he was from the line of David. Uh, From other texts, we know that he was a just man. Matthew chapter 1 verse 19 tells us that he was a just man man. Uh, We also know that he was a craftsman of sorts. Most translations refer to him as a carpenter, and they refer to Jesus as the son of a carpenter. Well, as for this woman Mary, we are told here as a way of introduction that she was a virgin. The Greek word here is parthenos, and it's used to distinguish women that had not had intimate relationships with another man. Now, I just want to state something. There are some who try to say that this word can simply mean that she was a young, unmarried maiden, that it didn't necessarily mean that she was an actual virgin, okay? Uh, That type of thinking, let me just squash it right here, okay? It is completely contrary to what the scriptures clearly put forth. There are other words that can be used to describe such a lady, and they aren't used here, okay? From the scriptures, there is no ambiguity at all to this situation. She was a virgin, and to say otherwise would be a contradiction of the scriptures. Some people like to say, well, you know, we don't want to believe in the miracles, and we don't know, we're not really sure. Maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. She could have just been a young woman, you know. No, that's not what the text says, okay? The virgin birth is actually something that's very fundamental to our faith and our belief. And so uh, please don't let anybody come along and tell you this kind of nonsense, all right? She was a virgin. Uh, She had not had any intimate relationship, uh, not just a young maiden that was unmarried. Now, the angel Gabriel greeted her and he proclaimed, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, Blessed are you among women. Now, as we consider Gabriel's salutation, I want to note just two things uh, about this unexpected messenger and this salutation he brings. The first one's very simple, okay? I want to note here that Gabriel begins his salutation and he says, rejoice. Rejoice is a word of celebration, okay? A word that means to be glad and to be filled with joy and delight. The message of God's Son, 
humbling himself and coming in the form of a babe truly is a reason to rejoice. Okay? It is a time of great celebration. And so we must remember that from the very get-go. This is an exciting time. This is a joyous time, a time to celebrate and rejoice. Next, we see that Gabriel describes Mary's status, and he does so by pointing out three things, three things about her. Okay, One, Gabriel said that Mary was highly favored. In the original Greek language, the phrase highly favored, it's actually just one word, the root of which comes from the word charis, which means grace. We'll look at that later. But this particular form of the word means to make graceful or to compass with divine favor, to honor with blessings. And so we understand and we can conclude that Mary was an object of God's amazing grace. Okay? The second thing Gabriel said regarding Mary was that the Lord was with her. It is evident that Mary had a committed walk with the Lord. We're going to see evidence of this next week, Lord willing, as we continue to make our way through the Gospel of Luke and we cover the song of Mary that she sings in response to God's choosing of her. Uh, we'll see that she had a great understanding of the Lord and, and the ways of the Lord. And so we want to note and understand that God's presence was with her. Third and finally, he said that Mary was blessed among women. Now, some of your translations don't have this third and final bit of information. Okay? If you're reading from, say, the NIV or the ESV, maybe the NASB, uh, one of a newer modern translations, uh, that little tag at the end that she's blessed among women is not included in verse 28. Now, whether or not it should be there is debatable, okay, I guess, but the truth that it conveys is not. We know this because the same exact thing will be said of her again later on by Elizabeth in verse 42 of Luke chapter 1. It says the same across all the different Bible translations. And so whether that truth is given to us here in verse 28 or if it's given to us in verse 42, the truth remains the same. She was blessed among women. That word blessed, it refers to one upon whom God has acted or who has experienced his blessings. In this context, it means that Mary was uniquely favored or acted upon favorably. Mary was favored more than any other woman. She was specifically chosen by God to be the channel through which Jesus Christ would enter into this world. She truly is a very special woman, a woman that should be admired and esteemed. But, but... She was still just a woman. And I want to make that clear. Because unfortunately, there are some that have gotten things mixed up when it comes to Mary. There are some that try to raise Mary to a higher spot than what is given to her from the Scriptures. They tra try to raise her to a level that is equal to or just beneath that of Jesus Christ. Some look at her and treat her as if she is a co-redemptress, that you need to not only believe in Jesus Christ, but you also need to believe in Mary as well, and that those both are dependent upon your salvation. Okay? Others, in response to this apparent doctrine, have moved too far to the other side. Okay, and they won't acknowledge any, in any way whatsoever Mary's favored status with the Lord. And, and both of these approaches, they're wrong. Okay? Both of them are unbiblical. Okay? We don't want to be over here and say, oh, you know, we, need, you know, we need to elevate her and worship her. No, she's just a woman. Okay? 
But at the same time, we don't want to say, ah, yeah, nothing special. No, she, she was extremely blessed, okay? Uh, God had uh, chosen her uh, to be uh, the channel through which God would bring his son into this world. So Mary uh, was extremely blessed, the most blessed among all women, but she still was just a woman in need of a savior, okay? She's not saving anybody, <laughs> uh, and uh, we need to make sure we understand that. Now, as we consider Mary's status with the Lord, how she was highly favored, how the Lord was with her, and how she was blessed by God, it's important to note that we, too, have the same standing in Christ. You see, the word highly favored in the original language, it's only used one other time in all of the New Testament scriptures, and it's used to describe your status and my status in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, describes us as accepted in the beloved. Okay, the word accepted, it is the same exact Greek word used here to describe Mary as highly favored. Only two times it's ever used in the scriptures. One describing Mary, the other describing us who are in Christ. We too are highly favored, not because we are so great, not because we're something special or we're so holy, and that's not it at all. It's because we are in Christ. We are in the beloved, as it states in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And so we have uh, that same status as being highly favored. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, it's part of the Great Commission. You guys know that portion of Scripture, right? Jesus promised that he would be with us always, even to the end of the age. And so not only is Jesus uh, the Lord with Mary, but he promises to be with us as well. And then in Ephesians 1, 3, Paul writes, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Note again that this favor, these blessings, are not because of who we are, but because of where we are. We are in Christ, positionally. We're in Christ, and because of that, we are blessed. And so, as we consider Gabriel's salutation, let's be mindful of our status with the Lord as well. For those of us here that are in Christ, that have given their lives to the Lord, we share that same incredible standing that Mary had. We are highly favored, and the Lord God is with us, and we are blessed among all mankind. Well, let's move on to this next section as we look at Gabriel's declaration in verses 29 through 33. He writes, Luke writes, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Okay, when it says that Mary was troubled and considered what manner of greeting this was, we have to realize the extraordinary circumstances that she was placed in. Though we don't know her exact age, it's safe to assume that Mary was more than likely a teenager, probably a young teen at this time. And here she is, presumably sitting in her home, uh, when all of a sudden there's a man standing before her. Um, Now, can I help you guys out with something here, just in case? I'm sure you understand this, but I want to get out of your head that angels, you know, have wings and float around on clouds and have long flowing white gowns with halos on top of their head, that's really not what the Bible describes angels as, okay? So when we think of an angel appearing, don't, don't, 
don't think that, okay? Uh, that, that's not what it was. This, he, most all the times when we see an angel come and interact with people and bring messages from the Lord to people, they're normally in the form of, of a human body, okay? And sometimes even some of the gospel accounts differ and say, oh, there was a man, and the other say, oh, no, it was an angel, because they looked like men. Um, and so uh, we do get the idea uh, that, and we understand that oftentimes they would accompanied by a very bright light, which would obviously be very frightening and scary. Uh, uh, and that is what we often see when an angel does appear, people falling down on their face and, and in fear and, and uh, overwhelmed. And so um, whether or not there was a light accompanying Gabriel as he spoke, we can't say for certain. What we can say, though, is that it's very reasonable for Mary to feel a bit lost and to bit, be a bit afraid at what's going on here. And so Gabriel, understanding and wanting to comfort her, says, do not be afraid. Obviously, the angel recognized that Mary was fearful, for you have found favor with God. You know, before Gabriel had greeted her simply by saying that she was highly favored, but here he's more specific and he identifies that she's found favor with God. That word favor, it's that word karis that I told you guys about. It's used 156 times in the New Testament, of which it's translated 130 times as the word grace. Mary has found grace with God. This unexpected message from an unexpected messenger was a declaration of grace. Gabriel's declaration towards Mary reminds us that we too have found grace with God. It is by grace through faith that we are saved and have been welcomed into the family of God. You see, without the grace of God, we would have no hope. From the very beginning of the gospel, the very birth announcement of Jesus, we see that it was a work that was all rooted in grace. You know, as we consider this declaration, may we remember that it was a declaration of God's amazing grace. The message of Jesus Christ coming in the form of a babe is a message rooted in grace. You see, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the opportunity given to us to have our sins forgiven, to have a righteous standing before God, it is all about grace. Okay? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tell us. We have been justified freely, according to Romans chapter 3, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The good news of Jesus' coming to us as a babe is all about God's amazing, unfathomable, unmerited, incomparable grace you know and and i know that that's probably something we all know but i think when we've been walking with the lord for a long time we could sometimes forget that and we could sometimes think that it's about me and i gotta do this and i gotta do that and you know this types of things listen don't ever lose sight that it is all about god's grace okay 
God's grace. Gabriel goes on to tell her that she will conceive in her womb and bring forth a son and that she shall call his name Jesus. Now the name Jesus is very important for us to note here. As we reflect upon Gabriel's declaration, it is important that we recognize something about the name of Jesus. You see, the name Jesus is actually a transliteration of the Hebrew name of Joshua. And the name Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. And so his name implies his mission. Jesus came to bring salvation. He came as the savior of the world to save men from the consequences and the penalty of sin. This unexpected message brought to Mary was a divine proclamation of God's providing his one and only son to be the savior of all mankind. Every man, woman, and child is in need of a savior to deliver them from the penalty of their sins. And Gabriel gets the privilege of declaring this wonderful and amazing news to Mary. You see, sin, it separates us from a holy God. And our sin, if not dealt with, it will keep us from entering into the presence of God. Our sin must be judged. And that is what took place upon the cross of Calvary. Jesus took the judgment of our sins upon himself and he died in our place. Three days later, though, he rose from the dead, demonstrating his victory over sin and death. And it is through that victory that we can be reconciled to God. This unexpected message from an unexpected messenger is about man's salvation. Our only hope of ever entering into the presence of God and spending eternity in his presence in heaven is based upon this message Gabriel gives to Mary right now. Okay? The message of God's Son coming in the form of a baby. Gabriel then goes on to describe to Mary what Jesus will be like in verses 32 and 33. He tells her that Jesus will be great. I think they're just it's hard. Okay? The greatness of Jesus is really hard to put into words. I suppose that he is greater than anything that you or I could ever imagine. Whatever it is, the greatest thing that you could ever think of, Jesus is greater than that. Okay? I believe in our finite minds it is impossible to comprehend the greatness of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is described as being greater than the prophet Jonah, greater than the wisest man that ever lived, King Solomon, greater than the temple. Paul writes to the Philippian church that God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it was Peter who would testify in the book of Acts that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The greatness of Christ, listen, church family, it is beyond our comprehension. Okay? Whatever the greatest thing that you can even imagine, it is greater still than that. Gabriel also, also told Mary that Jesus not only would be great, that he would be called the Son of the Highest. This, of course, speaks of Jesus' deity. The title Highest, it speaks of the Lord Most High. It's spoken of God as dwelling in the highest of heavens and as far exalted above all other things. Though Jesus will be born of a woman, he will be human. He will also be divine. 
He will be God in human form. He told Mary that the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David and that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever and that there would be no end to his kingdom. You see, back in 2 Samuel, the prophet Nathan came to David with a message from the Lord. And this is what Nathan declared to David. He said, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, forever. Now this prophecy was not fulfilled by any of David's immediate sons. If you kind of go through and you got Solomon and Rehoboam and you kind of follow the line, you know, they all died. None of them had this, you know, everlasting eternal kingdom that lasted forever. And so we understand and believe that this is referencing a future prophecy concerning the coming Messiah, the anointed one. Isaiah also prophesied of this coming Messiah when he declared in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever you see what gabriel was telling mary was that the son she would bear would be the long-awaited messiah that he would come and he would reestablish the throne of david and he would usher in an everlasting kingdom and so the time for god's kingdom to come it was at hand yeah this was an exciting time A time to rejoice and celebrate. This is what the Jews were all waiting for. They longed for their Messiah to come to save them, to establish a new kingdom, one that would not have the likes of the Romans ruling over them. What an amazing message for Mary to receive. A declaration of grace, a declaration of salvation, and a declaration of God's kingdom to come. So let's look at this final section dealing with Gabriel's explanation in verses 34 through 38. Luke continues his account he says then mary said to the angel how can this be since i do not know a man and the angel answered and said to her the holy spirit will come upon you in power and the power of the highest will overshadow you therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of god now indeed elizabeth your relative has also conceived a son in her old age and this is how this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren for with god nothing will be impossible Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary responded to Gabriel's declaration with a question of inquiry. Mary wondered how it would be possible for her to become pregnant since she had not known a man. This, of course, is referencing, referencing her virginity. It's important that we distinguish Mary's question with the questioning that Zacharias had when he was told that Elizabeth would bear him a son. Last week, when the angel Gabriel had visited Zacharias and informed him that his wife, who was barren, would have a son, in response to Gabriel's prophecy, Zacharias asked, How shall I know this? Okay, Luke chapter 1, verse 18. Zacharias's questioning was one based upon belief. That word know, it can also be referred to as belief. It was as if he was saying, How shall I believe this? I just can't believe it. This is impossible. I can't believe it. How, how do you expect me to believe this? 
and there was disbelief. There was doubt. Okay, he questioned Gabriel's word. He did not believe him, and as a result, he was made mute, unable to speak. Mary's question is not a question of doubt or unbelief. Mary believed it would happen. She just didn't understand how it would happen. We see in our text that Mary was not disciplined for lack of faith by Gabriel, like Zacharias was, but rather she was given an explanation of how this would happen. Gabriel explained how the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of God would overshadow her and as a result, the Holy One to be born would be called the Son of God. The answer to Mary's question is that this would be a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of God would overshadow her. That word overshadow, it it means to cover with a cloud. It speaks of the presence of God. Later Jewish rabbis, they coined an expression to describe this cloud-like presence of God. You may have heard the term before. It was coined and referenced the Shekinah glory. Okay, the Shekinah glory was represented by the cloudy pillar that led the Israelites by day during their escape from Egypt. It was used to describe the cloud that God spoke out of when he spoke to Moses while upon Mount Sinai. The same Greek word used here to describe the overshadowing of the Lord is used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, to describe the cloud that filled the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, verse 35. And it tells us there that Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This would happen again when Solomon completed the construction of the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. It says there that it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud, okay, same word, filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The priest, they had just finished placing the ark inside the most holy place, that holy of holies we talked about last week. And as they stepped out, the Lord filled the place and so we understand the imagery uh, and the use of this word it suggests that while the holy spirit came upon mary and overshadowed overshadowed her that the overshadowing was like a cloud representing the presence of god coming into a certain place just like it had come into the tabernacle just like it had come into the temple here it is coming into the womb of mary And as the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, Mary's womb became a type of holy of holies for the Son of God. Now, as further evidence of God's ability to do what seemed impossible, Gabriel also informed Mary of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, We're told that Mary and Elizabeth were related, but we're not told how they were related. The word relative really here, it just simply means a kinsman or a kinswoman, uh, one of the same family. And the basic understanding, more common use is basically a cousin. Okay, first cousin or fourth cousin, doesn't really matter. There's somewhere down the line they're related. Obviously, Mary knew who Elizabeth was, for Gabriel would use her pregnancy as an example of God doing the impossible. Okay, Mary, I want you to know that, you know, this is, I know you're thinking this is, you know, how is this going to happen? Don't worry, trust in the Lord. You know, just like, you know, you know about Elizabeth, right? And she's having a baby. Yeah, that was a work of God, and God's going to do a similar work in you. And so, In verse 37, Gabriel explains a very important truth. He says, with God, nothing will be impossible. It is said that difficulty must always be measured by the capacity of the agent doing the work. 
for instance, in my uh, current state and condition, I would say that it is impossible for me to run a marathon. Okay? While many of you, that's something that you do on a regular basis. I know some of you uh, are a little bit out there and you're like, oh yeah, I went for a nice you know, 30 mile jog. You know, I'm like, why? <laughs> um, but you know, you have to measure difficulty against the agent in, wi- in who's doing it. Okay, if you said, "Hey, do you think Glenn can run a marathon right now?" Right? No, no, that's impossible. I'm not going to run a marathon. If you ask Dan Calloway if he can run a marathon, I'd be like, "Yeah, pretty sure he'd put in a pretty good time now, too." Um, you know, you have to measure it against the agent doing it. And listen, when the agent doing the work is God, any thought of difficulty must be immediately tossed out the window. Nothing is too difficult for God. And as I consider this explanation by Gabriel regarding how God is going to work this miracle out in the life of Mary, I can't help but think of the miracle that God has worked in those of us who have been saved. You see, the miraculous work that God did in Mary's life isn't much different than the miraculous work of salvation that God has done in the life of each and every one of us who are a believer in the Lord. Just as Mary was an object of God's grace, we too are an object of God's grace. And just as it was a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Mary, our salvation account was a work of the Holy Spirit. He called us into this loving relationship by convicting us of our sins, showing us our need for a Savior. Lastly, I want to point out, just as Mary's body became a type of holy of holies when God's Son was placed in her, we too, through faith, have Christ in us. Our bodies are said to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. But even more so, Galatians speaks of how Paul was crucified with Christ. is no longer he who lives, but Christ who lives in him. This is true not just of Paul, but of all who have responded to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Lastly, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, it speaks of how Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. This explanation of Gabriel's not only informs Mary of the miraculous work of God upon her life, but it also reminds us of the miraculous work of God upon our own lives. How he has saved us. You know, people often wonder, does God still do miracles today? Listen, your salvation is miraculous. God still does the miraculous when he saves you and I. From the penalty of our sins. Wrapping up our text, we see an incredible response of submission and surrender by Mary. In verse 38, Mary responds to Gabriel's explanation by simply stating, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. A maidservant is the feminine version of the word bondservant. In Greek, it's the word doule which is the feminine form of the word doulos. A doulos is defined in my uh, Greek lexicon as a slave, one who is in permanent relation of servitude to another, his will being altogether consumed in the will of the other. I'll read that last part again. His will being altogether consumed in the will of the other. Mary was completely submitted and surrendered to God's will. Whatever he wanted to do, she was submitted to it. God's will was the only thing that she was interested in. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. God, whatever you want to do, okay? whatever you say, 
I'm yielded. I'm submitted. Your will be done. And as we reflect upon Mary's complete surrender to God and His plan for her life, may we be challenged to do the same in our own life. That's the, the application is very easy to make. Gabriel's explanation, it reminds us about our need to completely surrender our own life, our own will to the Lord. That when God calls us to a task that we think impossible, or where God asks us to do something outside of our comfort zones, outside of our area uh, of, of what we would feel comfortable doing, that we would be able to answer like Mary, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Behold, the bondservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you so much for the work of salvation that you have brought upon our lives. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of miracles. And Lord, maybe there's some people here this morning, Lord, that have been walking with you for a long time, and they've just lost sight of the grace you've bestowed upon us, of our standing in you, how we are highly favored. Lord, that you're with us. Lord, that you dwell within us and you've saved us by grace. And we just need to be reminded once again of your love and of your grace. And Lord, I pray that as we consider and, and contemplate your work of salvation in our hearts and lives, we're reminded of that those simple truths, Lord, that we would be able to respond like Mary. That we would be able to say to you, Lord, your will. Here I am. Whatever you want, whatever your word te- says, I'm yielded, I'm submitted, I'm surrendered. I want you and nothing but you. I want my will to be consumed in your will. But I pray, give us that heart, give us that mind, give us the faith to be completely yielded and surrendered to all that you'd have for us. Lead us and guide us, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.